Okay, so um, Terry, his mic uh, is such a gift to us, and I don't want to take more of his time except to say that uh, he's uh, been an amazing gift to the church around the world, and particularly even to us over the years as we've tracked not just your preaching here with us, but uh, much of your books that you've written have uh, really inspired us. I think particularly of the Spiritful Church has really helped me to um, just pursue more of what God has. So, Terry, thank you for being back with us. I know Wendy's not uh, too well, but um, it's good to have you with us. Thank you. Thank you so much. Can I pull that a little higher? Thank you so much. Brilliant. Well, it's a real joy to be back. I was with you two years ago, and then uh, I flew home with my wife uh, back to the UK, embracing here and handshaking and all the normal things, uh, arrived at London Heathrow, and uh, everybody was uh, keeping their distance, standing back. And uh, the next, uh, driving home, the motorways were kind of empty. I thought, what's going on? And the next day or two, total lockdown. And uh, my program for 2020, which looked so wonderful, and 2020 sounded good, didn't it? It's going to be a great year, 2020, yes. And a line went through the whole thing. And uh, yeah, you thought, what on earth do I do now? Uh, and happily, actually, I felt God spoke to me about writing. So I did. I wrote a, a book uh, called God's Special Treasure or God's Treasured People. I changed the name and could never remember which it landed on. But it's, uh, it's the story of the people of Israel coming out of captivity through the long journey into their inheritance. And in the New Testament, it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, all these things happened to them as an example and were written down for our instruction. So it's solid history. It happened to them, but it's written to instruct us. So I found a lot of fun writing it, and uh, that came out just the end of last year. So uh, that's one of the ways I filled these uh, passing months, but it's a great, great joy uh, to be back with you. My first overseas trip is back to South Africa. What a great place to come back to. And uh, uh, it's a real joy to be back here as I was. I think we'd only just started meeting here uh, when I came two years ago. So it's great to be back with you. I'm going to speak to you uh, from the book of Romans, and uh, I'm going to read one verse from chapter 5. Uh, once the Apostle Paul uh, starts his letters, uh, everything kind of argues on from one thing to the next, and it's quite hard to interrupt him. Um, so I'm just going to read one verse, one verse, and in this chapter, Romans chapter 5, Paul is comparing and contrasting the results of Adam's sin, where Adam sinned against God and made the whole human race get distorted. When Adam was created, he was in the image of God. He was to fill the earth with his offspring. He was to be God's representative, but tragically, he turned against God. And the Bible says we all became children of disobedience. We were all affected. That's why we see the human race in such disarray and such tragedy among the nations. The Bible says, no, we got spoiled. He, he wrecked the whole stream of life, and we're all born with this distortion in our spirit. So what Adam did, and then in the same chapter, he talks about the result of what Christ did. 
And that if we can get born again into Christ, everything changes. And so I'm going to read just one verse, and then we're going to follow it through. Okay, so verse 17 of Romans 5. For if by the transgression of the one, that's Adam, death reigned through that one, much more those who receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for these great truths we've been singing. We thank you for the joy in our hearts as we take this bread and wine and remember what you did for us, Jesus. And now, Heavenly Father, we ask for the help of the Holy Spirit that we might understand your word. We might enter into the good of it. We might be affected by it. We might be blessed through it. Lord, come and help us in your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So that uh, verse includes a rather vivid phrase. It says that we reign in life through the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness. We reign in life. That's a, a vivid phrase. It talks about kind of being on top, reigning, being, being assured, being secure. We reign in life. Now, that's not the only verse of that kind in the Bible. You'll find that we are called more than conquerors through him who loved us. Not just conquerors in life, but more than conquerors. Another time it says that he always leads us in his triumph. So Christians are those who have received abundance of grace. They reign in life. They're more than conquerors. They're always in triumph. And you think, if you're a believer, you think, yeah, that's true. These are all promises. And then you think, hmm, is that really a kind of description of me? I wonder if that's how my wife sees me. I wonder if that's, you know, is that what you really are? You're kind of reigning. You're more than conqueror. And I think sometimes we, we think, if only... If only I could live up to this incredible standard that is offered to us in the Bible. And it's at those if-only moments that we might want to make a fresh start. We may go away to a conference and have an opportunity to set everything aside. And maybe we have, we have some preaching and things that happen. And we feel, yeah, I'm going to make a fresh start. And maybe people are invited to respond to the preaching. And you say, yes, yes, I want to make a fresh start. Or it may be the turn of the new year. We've just started a new year. And maybe you, you're January the 1st and you've got yourself a new diary. And you think, wow, look at that. Not one page messed up yet. And you, you say, last year, mm, sorry about that, Lord. That's not what I intended. Now I've got a new, a new year. I'm going to do better. I'm going to be a proper Christian. I'm going to work this out. Now, it's great to get fresh motivation. It's great when that happens because it kind of lifts us out of our dullness or getting a bit stagnant. Yeah, new chance, new opportunity to live a proper Christian life. Now, the tragedy is that though we're freshly stirred, it's great to be freshly stirred, we kind of go through the wrong door because we think, how am I going to do this? Well, some of us would say, right, I'm going to set my alarm clock back earlier. I'm going to get up earlier. I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray much longer than I ever did. I'm going to set myself to praying. And I'm going to read my Bible. 
and you think, right, how many, how many pages do I need to read? And you get a Bible reading system, and you think, right, I'm going to read seven pages a day. I'll get through my whole Bible. I'll do that. I'll, I'll read my whole Bible. And, and I, I, I remember somebody saying, I felt I'm going to speak to someone else about Jesus every day. And uh, I remember he said to me, he's an American guy I met, he said, I, I thought, I'm going to do that every day, I'm going to be a proper Christian. And he said one night, he was just going to bed, exhausted, put his head on the pillow, and he thought, oh, I've not spoken to anyone about Jesus today. And he got up and got dressed and went running around the streets trying to find someone. And, you know, you can give yourself, how do I reign in life? And what we tend to do is make mistake of saying, I'll set these rules to live by. If I, if I can fulfill these rules, then I will reign in life. That's, that's what we think we'll do. We'll, we'll set up some, some laws to live by. Now, that's a real tragedy. And Paul says this, who, you who will be justified by law have fallen from grace. Now, it's interesting, the phrase fallen from grace is often taken right out of the context of the Bible. It means somebody who slips away, somebody who doesn't uh, keep up the standard. They've fallen from grace. That's not what Paul says. Paul says if you start trying to live by rules and regulations, you've fallen from grace. Because grace is not the way that you reign. Laws is not the way you reign in life. You need to understand that that's a different approach. And so he says to the Galatians, look, you who will be justified by laws have fallen from grace. Again, he says in Romans 10 and verse 6, Christ is the end of the law to everyone who believes. You see what happened? Why Paul wrote this letter to the Galatians was this. Paul went to Galatia. He preached, and many became Christians. Many Gentiles, they became Christians. The Spirit of God came. You can read the book of Galatians. It says that they were seeing miracles and healings. And Paul, being an apostle, left them and went on to do it again in another town. He's going to start another missionary journey and left them behind. They're healthy and strong and happy new Christians. And after Paul had left, the Judaizers moved in behind him. Now, who are the Judaizers? Well, the Bible explains to us that they were people who had become Christians, but their roots were very much into a Jewish background. And they came with a kind of mixture message. And they came and said, hey, it's great that you people have received our Messiah. Our Bibles promised us that the Gentiles would accept our Messiah. Welcome. We're so glad you joined us. But um, we've known him for centuries, and we know what he requires. And, and if you want to be really, really secure as a Christian, really know that you're saved, then really you should keep the feast days. And you must keep the Sabbath. And really, you ought to get circumcised. And these guys are coming and trying to bring in these Old Testament laws to make these new Christians feel secure. And Paul wrote the letter to the Galatians, which is his angriest letter in the New Testament. I mean, the letter to the Corinthians is not very happy, but the one to the Galatians, he says, you fools, what are you doing? What are you doing? Who's bewitched you? He's really troubled about what's happening to them because they're trying to add something to what Jesus accomplished on the cross. And you can't really add anything to something so sublime. Now, not many of us have that kind of encounter, but we can have this kind of encounter that when you become a Christian, 
I remember when I became a Christian in my late teens, I had no knowledge of what Christianity was. No one had ever spoken to me. My parents were not Christians. I had no knowledge of the whole deal. And then I was led to Christ. And it's like, wow, all my sins forgiven. Is that why he died? To take away my guilt. And he's alive again. I mean, it was like, wow. And I was so excited that I, and I was born again. I felt, I knelt and prayed. I, I said, yes, please. And I felt, wow, I felt it happen. I'm a Christian. I was so excited. And then someone came to me and said, you've become a Christian. I said, yes. They said, listen, yeah, you must pray every day. Okay, thank you. Thank you, that's really helpful. Uh, And listen, yes, uh, you must read your Bible every day. Okay, got it. Uh, Okay, I do that, read my Bible every day. And um, really... uh, I shouldn't do your hair like that anymore. <laughs> oh, okay. And uh, really, uh, you shouldn't wear those kind of clothes. I mean, that's the sort of thing that happened to me. It's like someone going, thank you. Uh, okay, got it. Uh, thank you. Uh, yeah, yeah. And, and that. And that. Okay. Well, I feel wonderfully released by this new message I've picked up. All these things I have. You think... Did I get set free or did I get, what happened to me? And you feel, am I okay or am I trying to learn to be okay? And we get kind of confused. We think, well, where am I? And Paul doesn't want us confused. He wants us to understand. And so he, he says this, Christ is the end of the law to everyone who believes. It's finished. That kind of approach to God is over. You think, wow, wait a minute. Didn't Jesus say, the law will never pass away? He said that in the Sermon on the Mount, I think. He said, the law will never pass away. Paul says, Christ is the end of the law. Hey, are they arguing with one another? Who's got it right? If I asked you as a Christian this morning, are you under the law or not? I won't ask for a show of hands. But it's a real question. What I want to do is turn over the page in our Bibles and just read half a dozen more verses from Romans and chapter 7. Because Paul kind of spells it out in Romans 7 in a very succinct way that I think will help us understand. Okay, I found it very liberating when I saw what it says in Romans chapter 7. Now you'll find it right through the New Testament, but here there's a very succinct passage. Okay, Romans 7, and we'll read um, the first half a dozen verses. Do you not know, brothers, from speaking to those who know the law, that the law has jurisdiction over a person as long as he lives? That sounds pretty final. For the married woman is bound by law to her husband while he's living. If her husband dies, she's released from the law concerning the husband. So then, if while a husband is living, she's joined to another man, she should be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she's free from the law, so that she's not an adulteress, though she's joined to another man. Therefore, my brothers, you also were made to die to the law through the body of Christ, so that you might be joined to another, to him who was raised from the dead, in order that we might bear fruit For God, verse 6, now we've been released from the law, having died to that by which you were bound, so that we serve in newness of the Spirit, not 
in oldness of the letter. Okay, so Paul is giving us a kind of illustration of marriage. He's saying that it's like the law was our husband. We were married to this rule system. And this law had authority over us as long as we both shall live. And the law is saying to us, as our husbands, as it were, you should not do this, you should not do this, you should not do this, and telling us the requirements of this relationship. And we're married to him. We're stuck with him. And to be honest, you can't really argue with him because they're very good laws. You can't say, no, I disagree. But there's something kind of overbearing about this, this husband who's always right. And it makes you feel what the Bible calls condemned. You feel, ah, it's hard to keep up with this husband who's always right. And one other thing about this husband, he's right. I can't argue with him. He tells me what I have to do. But he never lifts a finger to help me. So I don't want to see too many wives saying, I think I know who he's talking about, dear. Hey, it can feel, hey, am I, this standard he's calling to me to is too hard for me. I can't keep it up. That's the challenge. Now, the Bible teaches us that the devil is active. He's called in the Bible the accuser of the brothers and sisters who accuses us day and night. All right? So something he does day and night looks like is his chief occupation. It says that plainly in the Bible. He accuses us. The very word Satan means accuser. So what he tries to do is say, you're a useless Christian, you are hopeless, you'll never make it, you're not good enough. He, that will bombard you with this. So what I'm talking about is a real battle for Christians because we've got to understand that's happening. We'll come back to that later, but just to see he gets into this system. But this kind of husband's telling us what God requires of us, and we get this feeling of condemnation because, boy, we're stuck. So... Jesus said, the law will never pass away. So this husband is never going to die. This husband who's always right, always showing you where you're wrong, you're permanently married to him and he's never going to die. Hallelujah. Isn't that wonderful news? Well, Paul, amazingly, kind of suddenly turns it on its head in the passage I just read to you. Because he doesn't say, and now the law has died. He doesn't say that. Jesus said it will never die. The law's holy standards will never die. But he says an extraordinary thing. He says in verse 4, Therefore, my brothers, you were made to die to the law through the body of Christ. What does that mean? You were made to die to the law. A death has happened through our relationship with Christ, through the body of Christ. What does that mean? Well, it means that by virtue of our relationship with Jesus, our relationship with law is over. Because Jesus, let me put it this way, had two relationships with the law. The first one he had was complete innocence. The Bible says he was innocent. The Bible says Jesus challenged people at the end, which of you convinces me of sin? That's a courageous thing to say. Yeah, so you tell me, anyone here convince me of sin? And then he said this, the devil's coming, he's got nothing on me. 
Jesus was perfectly innocent. So Jesus was in a pure relationship with God's holy law. He lived a perfectly spotless, righteous life. That's what the Bible shows us. And then it tells us this, that when it came to the cross, and this is the heart of Christianity, when it came to the cross, God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. He became a sacrifice. All the Old Testament sacrifices, the many lambs that were slaughtered, they didn't know what was happening to them. Jesus voluntarily gave himself. He yielded himself up and he died in our place. And the Bible says God made him to be sin. This incredible transfer took place. He took our guilt. He died to the law once for all. God's holy law was vindicated. God's holy righteous requirement was upheld. It had to be upheld. God can't just say, well, let's forgive them all. He's a holy God. And he wants to be satisfied that his holy name is honored and glorified. And so Jesus took our place gladly. He offered himself up. He came not to be served, but to serve and lay down his life, a ransom for many. And Jesus died in our place. And he became our sin on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? There's no answer from heaven. There's just darkness. He took the guilt away. Hallelujah. And the Bible says that you, we Christians, were made to die with the body. We're in Christ. That's the language of Romans. You are either in Adam, just a natural person, or you are in Christ. You've been born again. You are identified with Christ. Do you know the word Christian only appears three times in the New Testament? Three times. The phrase in Christ is everywhere. You're in Christ, you're in Christ, you're in him. And here it says that when he died, we died with him. We were set free. And so the law keeps speaking, but the believer has died to his control. That's the wonder of it. In, fact, in chapter six, verse 6, rather, it says, Now you've been released from the law, having died to that by which you were bound. You've died to it. You have been released. A famous preacher in England called Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones said it would be like a man doing national service. He's in the army, maybe for a couple of years and, and the, the sergeant major shouts at him, left, right, left, right, turn here, do that. You do exactly what he says. He's got charge over you. And then there comes the moment when you are discharged. That's the very word that's used here, discharged. And he imagines the soldier, and he's been discharged, he's finished. And he's strolling across the parade ground, he's got no tie on, he's got a jacket over his shoulder. And the sergeant comes around the corner. He says, soldier, he says, Sarge. You think, hey, wait a minute, I'm out of here. Bye, Sarge. And it doesn't matter how much he shouts at you, he can't touch you because you're out. You're discharged from his authority. That's what it says. We're discharged from the law. We're no longer under the law. The Christian is no longer, Christ is the end of the law to everyone who believes. And then it says in verse 4 we've died to the law through the body of Christ that we might be joined. To another. Now, still using marriage language. We're no longer married to the law, we're married to Jesus. Then it verse says this You've been joined to another, to him who was raised from the dead. Well, we know who that is. That's Jesus. In order that you might bear fruit 
for God. Now, that's the first time that fruit-bearing has been mentioned, that you might bear fruit. You see, Jesus helps us bear fruit. In other words, the Bible says the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and gentleness and meekness and on and on it goes. The law didn't help me bear fruit. In fact, it's interesting. It says in Galatians chapter 3 and verse 21, if a law had been given that could impart life, then righteousness would have come by the law. If a law had been given that could impart life, then righteousness would come. You see, if the law could produce the life, let's get into all the schools. Let's go and tell all the kids, you shall not lie. You shall not do this. Hey, hey, you shall not bear false witness. You you shall not commit adultery. You shall not. Just tell them. All you have to do is tell them and we'll make everybody righteous. Doesn't work. The law doesn't impart any life. The law is an impotent husband. He tells you what to do, but he doesn't put any life in you. He doesn't help you produce anything. He can tell you the rules, but he can't change you. That's the barrenness of that kind of religion. It tells you the rules, but we can't live by the rules. What we need is a new life, and it says that, a new husband. It says here, we've died to the law that we might be joined to the one who's raised from the dead, that we might bear fruit. Ah, we've found a husband who give us. You see, he's not an impotent husband. Jesus is a very potent husband. He says this, you abide in me, and I abide in you, you'll bear much fruit. My love, my love I give to you. My peace I give to you. My joy I give to you. This is an amazing husband. He changes you from the inside. He makes you a new person. That's the whole deal. Now the tragedy, beloved, is this. That when, as Christians, we're making this journey and we sometimes feel, oh, I'm not doing very well. You know, someone might say to you, how are you getting on as a Christian? A bit up and down. The tragedy isn't so much we're up and down, we're slightly husband to husband. We thank you, Jesus, for saving us. And you think, oh, I'm not doing very well. Lord, I'll try harder. I'll keep this law and I'll keep this rule. I'll really develop my relationship with my old husband. Is that a good way to develop with you? you know, try that in the world. You know, We're not doing well. I'll just develop my relationship with the old husband. And we go the wrong way. We say, well, if I could do some more stuff... Then I'll make you pleased. No, no, God is for us. And even in the letter to the Laodicean in the New Testament, there's a lukewarm church. And Jesus is outside. That's the imagery. And he says, I'm knocking the door. If anybody hears my voice and keeps these rules, no, no, nothing about that. If anybody hears my voice and opens the door, I'll come into him. I'll sup with him. In other words, Jesus, we don't need a way to the way. He is the way. He gives us life. We don't need to go that way in order to know him. That's not the way we grow. Jesus wants to impart some life to us. So you might say, well, Terry, you know, don't you read the Bible then? Yeah, I do read the Bible. But I don't read it to impress God. You know, I don't say, Lord, hey, whole chapter today, Lord. Good marks for that, you know. Okay, I read a chapter. You know, prayed for half an hour. Pretty good, eh, God? No, see, no, I, I pray because I want to get some results. I pray because I believe in prayer. I, I, I'm not saying, hey, 
Do I get marks for that? I'm not trying to impress God. I'm hidden in someone who's already impressed him. It's done. It's finished. He, he said at the cross, it is finished. I've done it. We're accepted in Christ. He has dealt with our old relationship of trying to keep rules to keep God happy. All that is over. That's what Christianity is telling us. That's all over. It's finished. Jesus paid the price for my guilt and lets me go free and invites me into a relationship with him, puts his spirit inside me and starts changing me from the inside. I find new love growing. I find new peace. I find new joy. It's all coming from my new husband. Hallelujah. He changes us from the inside. It's a completely new thing. So it says you live by the spirit, not by the letter, for the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. It's a completely fresh arrangement with God. When I first understood the grace of God, it was like getting born again, again. Because I, I, I was kind of zealous. And I was kind of, well, I tried to pray and I tried to read my Bible. And, and often, you know, get up off your knees and it's like Satan says to you, is that all then? Is that it? Oh my gosh, perhaps I should have. And you get caught up in a kind of horrible guilt trip of trying to get rid of this guilty feeling. And then Jesus has done it. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He's done an amazing job for us. And he will change us as we get to know him and enjoy his love and receive his grace. He makes us new. You see, if we haven't done that, we'll find that there's a growing sense of condemnation. If I can put it this way, imagine this right arm represents my awareness of not doing well as a Christian. And so I try to overcome it. I'm praying harder. I'm reading my Bible more. I'm trying to get rid of this through my sanctification, by my endeavors to live the Christian life. I'm trying to cover over this condemnation. And Satan comes and challenges you. He says, no, I'm doing well. I'm working hard. I'm making more progress This is all about me, what I'm doing. I'm making more progress. And then he says to you, have you heard about Marjorie? Now, what about Marjorie? She fasts twice a week. You think, oh, no, fast twice a week. That's another thing I've got to do. So I'm praying. I'm reading my Bible. I'm fasting twice a week. And then Satan says to you, you're doing well? Yes, I am doing well. I'm reading, I'm praying, I'm fasting twice a week. I say, oh, are you? I expect you're very proud of yourself. Yes, I am very, oh no, I'm very proud of myself. You can't win. Pride's such a sin. When I'm doing badly, I'm doing badly. When I'm doing well, I'm doing badly. And a lot of Christians just get caught up in knots. They they don't look as reigning in life as we should because we just haven't sorted this out. We haven't come to a place of peace and rest and certainty. And so we get trying to... Paul says this, the tragedy, he wrote into the Philippians, the tragedy of his Jewish contemporaries was this. They were going around trying to establish a righteousness of their own based on law. I've done it, I've done it, I've done it. Trying to establish a righteousness of their own based on law. He said, I've just received the righteousness which comes from God as a gift of faith. Thank you, Jesus. We sang about it. His blood has washed us white. 
We know it. We understand it. We celebrate it. See, if we don't, we, we can try and do stuff. And uh, let me pretend, if I may. I, I'll pretend now to be, if I may, the wife of one of us here. Okay, so I, I'm going to be a wife of a member of the church. So, right, I'm going to pray in the morning. Or maybe, you know, go home from this meeting, say, thank you, Lord, I receive your grace. Tomorrow morning I'm going to pray. Right, I pray. I pray for my husband, Lord. Uh, uh, bless him at work. Uh, uh, let, him, let him really be a, an outstanding man for you. Let his light shine. And uh, I'm really a bit concerned for him, Lord. Uh, he seems tired lately. Uh, maybe I could bless. Maybe, I don't know, but I, I'll, I'll surprise him. Yeah, I know. I'll go out. I'll get a lovely steak. I'll really surprise him. I'll, I'll set up a nice meal. Oh, yeah, I know what I'll do. And then you think, oh, I'm supposed to be praying. Um, yes, uh, praying. Uh, Oh, God, bless, bless the, um, oh, yeah, we've got a missionary event, Friday night. When the missionaries come, uh, Lord, for the missionary supper, to talk about what they're doing, um, bless the missionaries to us, and may we uh, feel stirred um, about what they're doing uh, in that nation, and uh, bless, the, bless the supper. Oh, yeah, the supper. I was supposed to get the salad. And I haven't got the, oh, wow, I promised I'd get the salad. I better go and get the salad. Oh, I know, while I'm getting the salad, I could get that nice steak for my husband. <laughs> oh, yeah, that'd be great. I could do all that. And then Satan comes and says, oh, mighty woman of prayer, are you prevailing in the heavens? You think, prevailing in the heavens? I can't pray for toffee. I'm a waste of time. My brain goes out the window. I'm a useless prayer. I'm a terrible Christian. Well, I'd better go on with my Bible reading. Where was I? Yeah, because I'm reading the whole Bible through now. So I've got to Leviticus uh, chapter 4, where I was. That's where I was. Yeah, so the priest shall remove from the sacrifice all the fat of the bull of the sin offering and the fat that covers the entrails, and all the fat which is on the entrails, and the two kidneys with the fat that's on them, which is on the loins and the lobe of the liver, which he shall remove with the kidneys. <laughs> and you know, Satan says, getting a lot out of your Bible, are you? And you say, I don't understand any of it. And then you make this terrible mistake. You say, I am a terrible Christian. See, yesterday you were saying, thank you, Jesus. I'm in Christ. He's my righteousness. Now this morning, I'm a terrible Christian. How did that happen? Did you have a terrible night? No, you just slept through the night. But now you're taking your pulse on how well you prayed, how much you understand the Bible, and you're assessing yourself on how well you're doing which is not the way to go. You've got to get out of that. I, I mean, as I said earlier, I read the Bible. I quite enjoy the Bible. And then a passage like that, that I think, oh, grief, have I got to read Leviticus again? But it doesn't trouble me. I think, oh, gosh, what's that all about? It doesn't trouble me. And, and you know, every one of us knows when you're trying to pray and your brain starts... I have a piece of paper. Jesus says... When you pray, go into the room, shut the door. You see, you shut the door, but your brain still goes through the wall. So I, I tend to have a little piece of paper, and I just, if something comes to mind, I just jot it down, think, think about that later. You know, we just learn how to, but I don't 
I don't have my relationship with God on how well I did this morning. What a miserable religion that would be. I thank God. I come and thank him and praise him and worship him because he's given me his righteousness. That's a free gift. It's amazing and wonderful and glorious. I celebrate the thrill of it. And some people say this, beloved. They say, when you pray, the first thing you do is confess your sins. I totally disagree. Some say, well, you just clean the decks first. No. Because when you do that, you come and you say, oh, God, I just come to you. I'm sorry about this. And then you see Satan comes and says, and that. Oh, yeah, that as well. (laughs) And, And then you dig a hole. And you jump in it and dig deeper. Oh, I'm such a terrible Christian. See, prayer becomes misery because I'm such a terrible Christian. Don't do it. Jesus said, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. If you use the Lord's Prayer, which I find very helpful, not just saying it parrot fashion, but seeing it as headlines, you will come to, yeah, forgive us my trespasses. Lord, is there anything I've done that's offended you? You get to that. It's not that we're careless. But you don't come sin conscious to God. You come Father conscious. You come thank you, Father. You've accepted me in Christ. You said there's no condemnation for me. You said Jesus took my guilt away. Thank you so much. Come worship me. Enter his gates with thanksgiving. Enter his courts with praise. My relationship with God is not based on how well I did. I could sleep through my quiet time and wake up. Oh, gosh, didn't have a time. Hallelujah, Jesus. We've got to learn to do that. We've got to learn to do that, to celebrate the wonder of what God has done for us. So we reign in life through this abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness. One or two things as I'm drawing to a close. Even in the Old Testament, this awareness that righteousness was not down to us. They were taught to bring their lambs to the priest. But the lamb had to be spotless. They had to bring a perfect sacrifice. And so when they came to the priest with their lamb, they weren't scared that the, la- the priest would see, oh, this is all torn. And you've got all mud on here. We're not looking at me. We're looking at the lamb. And the priest would take the lamb. All eyes are on the lamb. And the priest would inspect it. Is it blind? Is it diseased? Any broken limbs? And if he, if he, having expected it, he would use this phrase, I find no fault in it. Hallelujah. Nothing wrong with my lamb. I'm accepted because there's nothing wrong with my lamb. Jesus, the lamb of God, I'm accepted because there's nothing wrong with my lamb. I'm accepted. I was praying once and I felt, I felt God spoke to me from that story in the Old Testament where Jacob, who's a bit of a crook, is coming to his father, Isaac, and Isaac is getting old and blind. He can't see anymore. And so Jacob, the crook, gets the clothing of the son that Isaac loved. Isaac had two sons, Jacob and Esau, and Isaac loved Esau. And so Jacob gets Esau's clothes and puts his clothes on. And actually, he's a very hairy guy, so he puts skins over his hands and neck and goes disguised to his father, hidden in the son that he loves. And as he's going to God, he's kind of terrified that the father will think, hey, what are you doing? Ah, out of there. He's just hiding. 
And I, I was praying one day, and I really felt God said this to me. Do not fear that I will find you hiding in the son that I love. Because I placed you in the son that I love. It says in Ephesians chapter 1, we receive every spiritual blessing. And we are accepted in the son that he loves. Jesus. He placed us in Jesus. We come to God hidden in Christ. And so when I pray, I think, Lord, just remember, you know, just feel those clothes. Feel his obedience. Feel his determination to go to the cross for us. Feel his delight in doing your will. Feel the wonder of his kindness, his mercy, his incredible life that he lived. I hide myself in that wonderful life. I hide myself in what he did. I'm hidden in that. Get a hold of it, Lord. And I'm accepted in him. Isn't that wonderful? It's what God's done for us. We're accepted in him. And I, I'm just so thankful to God that he just spoke that into my heart. Now, don't fear. I've placed you in the son that I love. And not only has he placed us there, it says in Ephesians chapter 1, we receive all spiritual blessings. Like Jacob did. He got blessed, hidden in the son that the father loved. He gave him loads of blessings, hidden. And we're hidden in Christ and we get all these amazing blessings, the coming of the Spirit, the wisdom and mercy of God, because we're in the Son that he loves. God's given us a new identity. If anybody's in Christ, there's a new creation. A new creation. And we can accept what comes to us because we're in Christ. Remember what I said, Christian three times in the Bible. In Christ, again and again and again. We're in Christ. John Bunyan who wrote Pilgrim's Progress. He was a Puritan. He went in prison for his faith. And uh, he said that one day he was feeling somewhat depressed. And he said, as I was walking along, I had a vision. God gave this guy a vision. And he said, I saw Christ as my righteousness. And he said, I suddenly realized it wasn't down to how I feel. He said However much I try to add, you can't add anything to the righteousness of Christ. And he said, if I'm depressed, I can't take away from the righteousness of Christ. Jesus Christ is my righteousness, and he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So when I wake up tomorrow morning, I'm in Christ. He is my righteousness. It's a done deal. It's, that's why we reign in life. We're not trying to do something to establish ourselves anymore. We stand in who we are. We stand on the ground God's given us. We don't get shaken from it. We don't try to prove ourselves. We celebrate what God has done. We get to know Jesus more and more. We enjoy our relationship with our new husband. He impregnates us, if I can put it that way, with his life, his joy, his peace. It starts growing inside us. We are changed from the inside by the Spirit of God. We're not trying to impress God by rule-keeping. It's all over. It's finished. God has done an amazing new thing for us. We are new creations in Christ. It says in Hebrews, by one offering, he has perfected us for all time. The Old Testament priests had to keep on offering a lamb, another lamb, next day another lamb, next day another one. They were continually doing it. So the book of Hebrews says, no, 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 in contrast, he, by one offering, has perfected us for all time. Hallelujah. 
God sees us as righteous because of what Jesus did, because this holy, spotless, wonderful Jesus of Nazareth went to the cross and took away our guilt. He suffered in our place. He fulfilled the law, but he died to the law once for all. The law was vindicated. God's law is vindicated. Paul says elsewhere, the law is good, providing you understand the law is not for the righteous, it's for sinners. We keep on saying this is God's holy standard, but it's not the way I become accepted to God. That's through what Jesus accomplished in my place. The law was impotent. In fact, it even says this, the law brought about kind of a rebellion in us. It's like if you're walking in some lovely parks in London, beautiful parks, and sometimes you're walking in a park and there's rosebud and there's beautiful lawn, and then you see the sign, keep off the grass. There's something inside you that says, whose grass is it then? There's something about the law. That's what the Bible says. The law provokes sin. It's like you say to your child, you're just going to the shops, and you say to your little boy, don't touch the cakes I've just made. It's like, the cakes you've just made? Something about the law, it, it, the Bible says it kind of provokes rebellion in us. What we need is a new heart. We need a new spirit. We need a new life in Jesus. Once we've got it, we don't go back to that way. We forget it. We turn away from it. We enjoy the mercy of Jesus. May that be your experience and mine. Can I pray? And maybe the band will come up to sing as we close. Father, we thank you so much for your tremendous love for us. We thank you, Jesus, that you took away our guilt. We thank you for a clear conscience. The blood of Jesus cleanses our conscience. What a massive, massive privilege to know that I stand righteous before God, not because of what I've done, but because of what he's done. Lord, we want to get to know you better we want to know your wonderful work of changing our lives from the inside. Keep drawing near. Keep making yourself known. Keep changing us through your truth and by your spirit, we pray. We ask it, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand as we...